something happened in our world and all of a sudden it became a craze for our generation. Uh, I'm talking about indoor plants. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you noticed that, but it was about five years ago, there was this boom. Uh, and all of a sudden, everything over Instagram were, were indoor plants. Uh, and let's be honest, I, I bought my first plant and you guys all heard about it. Uh, it was a big deal. Um, but before that, I don't really remember anyone caring about indoor plants or growing things. Uh, look, I, I don't know if I jumped on the bandwagon. I like to think that I got ahead you know, before everyone else. But uh, it was about three years ago, I bought my first fiddle leaf fig and um, it's still alive. Can you believe that? It's, um, I've been Instagramming my plants. So a lot of you who do follow me on Instagram know that um, I do love my plants and I love seeing them transform from baby plants to mature plants. Uh, it's, it's amazing because, uh, and it's, well, it's funny actually, because a lot of people think that I'm the crazy plant guy now. And a lot of people message me and they ask me for tips as if I know something about plants. Uh, and, and it's funny because I tell them, well, you, you should water them and put them in light and it'll grow. That's all I, that's the best tip I can give you. Um, but if I'm honest, uh, a lot of my plants, they, they actually die as well. Uh, I know, it's unbelievable. Um, there are days when it is hot and it gets dry and uh, I forget to water or I overwater and there's root rot and I see leaves turn yellow, they wither and eventually they fall off. It's a sad reality with my plants. It does take tending to sometimes. The plants do need care. It needs the right amount of sunlight, the right amount of watering, the right amount of cuddles and speaking to them so they'll flourish. And, and isn't that the joy of plants though, when you get to see them flourish, when you've tended to them, that you get to witness them grow and flourish with leaves. I mean, it's just really interesting because isn't this really what we hear all the time in life? Uh, we want to flourish in life. And if we want to flourish in life, we have to care for ourselves. And you've heard the advice, right? Go to sleep early, wake up early, work out, eat well, read a lot, watch less Netflix, practice mindfulness, meditation, all those things. Essentially saying, if you care enough for yourself and you take care of yourself, you'll flourish in life. Yet at the same time, what we hear in, 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 in media or all around us, um, that if we connect ourselves into culture too, we'll flourish, right? We're natural pleasure seekers. And so uh, marketing will tell us, get your drink on. You know, dating and sex, amassing more wealth and buying all the pretty shiny new things, gaming, uh, gaining as much popularity and likes on our social media. It's the fruit of our culture, isn't it? And when you do these things or accomplish them, you'll flourish. Success is defined by our culture. Flourishing is defined by how much fruit we can see through the, the pleasure or the accomplishments we've attained. And how often have we heard people say, I'm, I'm living the best life now. Yet flourishing seems to only ever be temporary, don't you think? Or for a phase or a stage of life. Honestly, we never feel like we, never, we, we have enough of those things. I mean, we mature and we experience more and we realize things that we hold on to, we try to hold on to, they never really satisfy. They never really fulfill. It never really meets our deepest needs. All things are temporary. They come and they go as fast as the next viral social media challenge, right? But for us, as the church, what does God call us to be connected into? What kind of culture are we setting for ourselves to be connected into? See, the passage today helps us to see that there's a greater story than what the culture around us promises us. It's only when we're connected, not into society's culture, but our Christ-centered culture, that we'll really see what, what flourishing looks like. Jesus wants us to connect into Him. 
Let's read again from chapter 15 of, of John's Gospel. John chapter 15, verse 1. It says, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Jesus and his followers in the room are of Jewish descent. They have the scriptures taught to them, which is the Old Testament to us. They were people who descended from the Israelites. They were God's people. And so Jesus uses this language, I am the true vine. The Father is the gardener. There are seven I am statements right in John's gospel from Jesus. I don't know if you remember them all. We've looked at a lot of them um, but uh, over, over the last year. But from the top of my head, you might remember, he says, I am the bread of life. Uh, I am, what else? Do you guys remember any other ones? I am the, what's that? Living water, yep. I am the, the way, the truth and life, which was last week's. I'm the good shepherd from John chapter 10. Here he says, I am the true vine. Why does he say that? And he's, remember, he's talking to his disciples, and they're getting this reference. It's, it, the vine or the vineyard was, was a reference to the scriptures for them. Uh, in, the, in, the, in their context, right, it, the vine uh, was an old and, and sacred image to them. This is how God called his covenant people Israel in the Old Testament. It was the people of God. They were the vine. God was the gardener. And he desired Israel to produce fruit. And you're thinking, you're thinking vineyard, right? So you're thinking grapes, that type of fruit. You know, that, um, they were the vine to produce that type of fruit. Now, God, he really treasured Israel. He rescued Israel out of Egypt, if you remember. And so we got Psalm 80. I think I've got this on the screen for us, and I'm going to read it for us. It says, Restore us, O God Almighty. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root root and filled the land. Now, isn't that amazing? Israel here is described as a vine. God took care of them. He tended to them. Yet, if you've read your Old Testament, if you know about the Bible, you'll know as well that Israel was a huge disappointment. This vine didn't produce fruit. They, were, they lived a life of fruitlessness. And so you have other places in the, in the Old Testament. Later on in Isaiah, that reads this, and I've got this on the screen as well. It says, it says, Now you dwellers of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard that I've done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you, what am I going to do to my vineyard? I will take away its hedge, and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall, and it will be trampled. See, Israel was called to produce fruit if they abided in God but they didn't. They rejected God. They worshipped other gods. And so here in Isaiah, there's this judgment about this vine. Jesus is echoing it here. He says, Israel, Israel never lived up to be the vine. I'm the true vine. I produce real fruit, perfect fruit. So you don't have to because you or your forefathers couldn't. But be grafted to me. Attach yourself. Connect yourself. Abide in Jesus. So you'll have life and fruit that God calls us to produce. You see this metaphor that Jesus is using? It's an ancient metaphor. He's the true vine, though. He's telling us he's holiness personified. He's perfect in righteousness and, and goodness and fulfills God's laws perfectly. He is without sin. And so for us, we're thinking, what is this fruit that he's talking about anyways? Well, Paul actually helps us here in Galatians 5. I've got this on the screen as well. Galatians 5, to 23. He says this. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Notice that it, it says fruit of the Spirit. It's not fruits. They're all the fruit of the Spirit. You know, when we're in Christ and have the Spirit of God in us, this is what fruit looks like. Let's be clear, and I don't want to sound harsh here, but have you considered lately the fruit you've been producing in your life? Are you abiding in Christ? Are you growing in love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Because these are qualities, these, these are byproducts of being plugged into Christ. You can't say that you're growing in one and not the other either. They're all part of the same fruit. You can't say I'm growing in love but not kindness because <laughs> kindness and love go together. Self-control, that happens when you have peace. Goodness, it's an expression of joy. And we need to be honest with ourselves. We need to do some self-reflection here. Since you've started your walk with Jesus, once you've called him your Savior and Lord, have you seen fruit produced in your life? I do believe we need to ask ourselves these questions honestly. Is there evidence of being in Christ for you? Is there evidence of being, having the Holy Spirit? You and I should be able to confidently say that since Christ came into our lives, we're not the same people. We've changed. We've grown. Sure, you're not perfect. None of us are. But you've increased in love a little, right? <laughs> Hopefully. You've increased in joy, increased in kindness and patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Can you say that about yourself? If nothing at all has changed in your life, then please spend time in the gospel. Humble yourself before Jesus. Connect into Christ. Put away that pride that stops you from seeking him. Surrender your life before the cross, and I can't stress that enough. Spend time with him because he is the true vine. True vine, and from him overflows this, this spiritual fruit. Now, if you have been producing fruit, great. Guess what? You're going to get pruned. You'll be cut back, and it might hurt. You might lose some of your lush new leaves, but you'll also grow even more. You'll also multiply even more in fruit. Yeah, you're, you're, you're better at loving and kindness than you used to be? Great. God is going to give you someone in your life that's really difficult to love, so you're going to grow even more in love. You're starting to be really generous with your money? Great. God is going to give you a bit of financial stress, and he's going to grow you even more in generosity with less. Do you see what Jesus is saying for his disciples? He wants to prune you so you'll grow and multiply even more in these gifts, in this fruit. The Christian life is going to be tough, but Jesus says, don't depart from me. Stay connected in. Don't go beyond the cross of Jesus. You know, as Christians, we think, oh, I'm a Christian now. I don't need the Bible. I don't need to grow in my faith, but we do. And often I hear people say, oh, well, I've, I've become a Christian. I've been spending all my time now, though. I'm reading self-help books, you know. That's, that's helping me grow as a person. Yeah, self-help books, sure. They're not going to sustain you, though, are they? You know, there's a reason why every year there's a new self-help or motivational book being released. One's not enough. How many do our bookshelves need? They're not going to save us long term. We need to stay plugged into Jesus. He is the source of fruit, and he will sustain us. That's where we're going to find life. You see, living the Christian life for us is not connecting into culture to rule over us, but to connect into Jesus and bear fruit. And there's a warning too that Jesus gives us. If we do choose to reject God, 
if we choose to worship the gods of culture in our world, then God will cut us off from himself. Verse 6 says, if you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away with us. Such branches, branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Man, that's pretty visual, isn't it? Now, for me, if you talk about my plants and what I do with them when I've cut them off, it's really sad. Ask Heidi. When a plant, one of my leaves dies and I have to pluck it off, and I'm just like, oh, this is so sad. I send photos to some of the guys here who know I love my plants, and I tell them how sad I am with those crying emojis. And I, have to just, I just have to throw it away. I have to throw it into, into compost wherever I throw it. And, and it's so sad, isn't it? But this has to happen. It's not producing fruit. It shouldn't come as a surprise. If you don't want to remain in Jesus, the result of that is being cut off. The result of that is being separated from God if we choose not to remain in him. Being thrown into the fire, but it's, it's hell language here. Now, I don't think it's saying you're going to be a branch thrown into fire, but it's a picture of destruction at least. It's the metaphor. We'll be separated from God, separation from the, separated from the source of goodness and life. It looks like the picture of a branch in the fire. But remaining in Jesus, well, that's our dependence on him. To know that salvation comes no other way but through Jesus alone. It's to acknowledge, it's, it's not to not only acknowledge, but to lay our lives down before him. To be able to surrender and let the will of Christ direct our lives and our loves. To reorder our loves. The great St. Augustine would say that we need to reorder our loves. This is a helpful thought. If you loved your work, right? If you loved your work more than your family, and you worked long hours and never gave time to your family, What's going to get ruined first? Your family, right? You need to reorder your loves. If you love money more than your colleagues at work, you're going to step on the throats and tear others down to get ahead so you'll get more money. When it comes to God and our loves, we need to reorder our loves. Now, if it's true that we've been made clean by God, he says, clean, you've been made clean, loved by God, sins forgiven, we're now part of the vine. It's in the vine we're going to have life. And God calls us, Jesus calls us to love and abide, be connected into him. And so if that's true, then what's our first love? How do we reorder our loves? The primary love of our hearts needs to be Jesus. Now, here's the thing. When, the love, when we love the things of culture in our world, we realize that those loves, they never satisfy. They leave us actually quite unhappy. Not even unhappy, we feel this joylessness and discontentment when we don't actually get the things in our culture that the culture promises us. When our hearts desire the things of prosperity or sex or power, we feel the temporariness of it. We think they'll give us the fruit of love, joy, and goodness and the rest, but they never do. And you see, Christ explains that for us. Verse 7, pick it up with me. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. When we remain in Christ, right, we bear much fruit. If we keep his commands of loving God, loving others, guess what we receive? Verse 11 says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be complete. Now think about this. While happiness... We always want happiness, but happiness is always built on external circumstances, aren't they? Things that come and go, like playing sport or, or seeing my muscles grow from gymming a lot. That makes me happy. But you know what makes me unhappy? Sickness, because that takes me away from the gym. <laughs> it takes me away from seeing my muscles grow. 
or enjoying the presence of loved ones, hanging out with friends, sex, you know, that stuff, that makes me happy. But you know what takes that away? Loneliness. Loneliness makes me really unhappy. Having money in the bank, the security of my career, that all gives me a sense of happiness. But the economy, a financial crisis, or anything else could easily take that happiness away. We're seeing it happen, aren't we? Even today, with what's happening in our world, with this coronavirus that's sweeping across our cities, the idols that we worship are being messed with. Health, safety, finances, they're not dependable like we thought they once were. Our external circumstances are being affected and our happiness are being replaced with fear and anxiety. We're losing control. And so we'll do what we can to have control, won't we? And we'll buy all the toilet paper on our supermarket shelves because that's the only thing we feel like we have control of. We never had to be in need like this because our idols satisfied us. We found our happiness there, but that's all crashing down. But what is joy? You see, joy is built on spiritual realities. That deep down, no matter what the external circumstances are, joy is rooted and unmoving regardless of our circumstances that affect us. The worst could come. But God has brought us salvation in Jesus. God has brought us into a relationship with himself. That's the spiritual reality for you and I. And that's the joy that gives us a rock, a solid assurance, a security in this lifetime. No matter how hard life gets, no matter whether we have much or whether we have little in this world, we have a joy that no one can take away because we have the spiritual reality of knowing Jesus and having a personal relation with God that we abide in. Being connected and plugged in with Jesus means we're not going to let the culture sway us. We still will have a joy even if the coronavirus hits us. We'll still have joy when the stock market plummets like we saw this last week. The security of money won't save us. Illness and death remind us of the brokenness of our world. But we have Christ who we abide in. We have the spiritual reality of eternity in our hearts given to us. See, putting our trust in anything else will just disappoint us. Abiding in Jesus and knowing the goodness and joy of Christ is the only true and eternal hope we can hold on to. Let's keep going from verse 12. It says, my command is this then. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. You see, throughout the Bible, Jesus keeps repeating this idea for us, doesn't he? Love one another. You are my disciples if you love one another. The great commandment is to love God and love your neighbor, love one another. John, in his letters, he says it again in, in 1 John uh, chapter 4. Verse 7, I've got it on the screen as well for us today. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. See, John echoes here in his first letter what Jesus is saying in this upper room discourse, right? Here with his disciples, God is love, and we see the depths of his love. 
when Jesus lays down his life for his people. Verse 13 says that. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. He calls his disciples in the room his friends. He's the one who's laid down his life for them. And you see the great gospel message that Jesus gave up his life for you and I, who he calls his friends. He brings you in. He calls you brother, sister, friend. We've been brought in by the love of Christ. The God who is love showed his love in the son's death on the cross for our sin. Yeah, we were once enemies. Our sin once separated us from God. We were already cut off. But you see what happens in the gospel. I wish I had one of my plans here today to show you, but Jesus lays down his life for us. Guess who gets cut off? We can approach God now with forgiveness. Why? Because God the Father, who is the gardener, he sent Jesus. He was the one who was cut off for us. We can now approach the throne of God and be connected into the true vine because of Jesus. And you see this command of love one another? It's not in isolation, is it? God just doesn't say love each other because it's a good thing to do. He doesn't, do it, he doesn't say do it because it's good morality. Be good people, love people. Frankly, none of us are good people. We don't do it merely because it's a command. We do it as a response, as an overflow of joy because of the love we've experienced in Jesus. Because it's the fruit. It's the outcome of being a people who are connected and plugged into Jesus. It's interesting because our culture is all about love in this day and age, right? Love everyone. But love only goes skin deep. Love is only given when your views line up with my views. Love is only given when you don't rock the boat or anger the ones who are signing the checks. Love is only given when you're, you're from my tribe, from my people. You see, love in our secular culture is conditional. It's given and received based on meeting a set of criteria. Yet Christ comes with a new love narrative, doesn't he? Love because God is love. Love because you know the Christ who has laid down his life for you. Love in the way God unconditionally loves us, even when we are his enemies. Christ's call to, to love is a one that's countercultural. To not love just the easy to love, but even those who might have hurt us. What will love look like for us? Well, firstly, to each other in the church, what will love look like? We put our faith in Christ and we're made part of this family of believers now. You sit here with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You call them family. And it's amazing how, how I've seen so many of you here over these years with, with nothing in common except Christ become friends. Where you seek to love one another in action. You ask, out, you ask, you look out for each other, you send each other text messages, you ask how you can pray for one another. And I've seen members of our church go out of their way to serve, do acts of kindness, out of love for others here. You see, this is precisely the fruit that overflows from knowing Jesus. Love Jesus and love one another here. But I also believe now is an opportunity to let our love shine to our world. During these, these uncertain times, we're called to be a light to the nations. And the beautiful thing about the church in history is that when there were plagues or, or outbreaks in the past, most people, they'd run to the hills. They'd hide away. But the church would stay. The church would be there in the cities and the villages. They would walk with the sick. They would nurse the dying. And there are still stories today of missionaries in parts of the world where they're working with communities of, of lepers or those who are shunned by society, the untouchables. We're called to be a people who are more than just words. But it's about humble service and sacrifice. Be compassionate to those who might be sick. Let faith drive us. Let love drive us, not fear. 
And as we do, shine the light of Christ to your family, to your friends, or people in your neighborhood. Call, text them, those who might be quarantined at home right now and bored. Bring them food. Bring them groceries. You might even want to bring them some toilet paper. I know that there are many in our neighborhoods today. Those who are elderly, who can't fight the crowds. Those who don't know how to use online delivery with our supermarkets. Those who don't know how to use Uber Eats even. Be a people of love. Help one another. Serve those around you who might be in need. Be a people of love, friends. Let's be a church who, who exemplify and model Christ's love to the world and to one another here. There's an MP in Canberra, and his name is Dr. Andrew Lee. He's written a book called Disconnected. Andrew, he isn't a Christian. He's an atheist. But he be believes the decline of religion is making social cohesion worse. He's saying that we need, more, we need more religion in our country. We need more churches in our country. And he admits that, yes, religion sometimes is, is a bad example because of war and violence in the past. But overall, in history, there has been so much more kindness in our world because of people of faith. He's an atheist, but he can admit that we need more churches in our country, especially during a time when we're disconnecting even more from one another with the rise of loneliness and social anxiety. He's written a whole book about it. If he can see the good that comes from a faith that says, go love one another, will we as a church, Providence Church, will we step up to the plate? You see, in the current climate where people are isolating themselves and now quarantined, we need to connect more than ever, don't we? We need to be a people marked by Christ's love, committed to doing good deeds of love and service. <laughs> we have friends that might have to stay at home and be on lockdown possibly for the next month. But I encourage you, use this time not only to do, not, 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 not just to do self-preservation. I mean, that's our default. We all feel comfortable doing that. But use this time to call others, to, to love others, to pray together. I know the temptation for us as a church is to disconnect, to not show up. But let's still continue to meet, even if it's through technology. Use this time to continue doing life with others, loving the vulnerable around us as well. I want to finish with, with C.S. Lewis, the author, in his 1948 essay on living in the atomic age. It's really interesting what he writes, because I think their words here are timeless. Uh, for those back then in the 40s who were worried about atomic bombs, he, I think it's very applicable to us today. He says this, The first point that needs to be made and the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things, praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, a microbe can do that, but they need not dominate our minds. See, the point is, let not the love of culture reign over our hearts. Let the love of Christ abiding in him let that dominate our hearts and minds and draw us to others in love and good deeds let's pray father we do thank you for your word we do thank you that you speak to us through it we do thank you that you are a god of love and you've shown us that through jesus and so we do pray that you'll help us as your church as those who know you Help us to abide in you. Help us to stay connected into you. 
May we do that, Lord, through practical things like reading our Bibles and praying to you, like gathering together as your church to encourage one another. I pray, Lord, that through all those things, we can be connected into Jesus and we can produce fruit. Help us, Lord, by your spirit, produce spiritual fruit like love and joy and kindness and all those things. Help us to be a people, Lord, who are marked by love so that the world can see that we are countercultural in the way that we love those around us. I do pray, Lord, during this time where it is difficult, that we'll be a people who can um, still show love through good deeds and service, even when it's difficult, even when the temptation is self-preservation. I do pray for us, Lord, as your church, to be a people who are, who are going to make uh, Jesus look good during this time, that we'll be able to shine your light across our city and our world. And I do pray for this for us here. In your son's name, amen.